0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Of Poetry Podcast with Sarah Lefsick. I'm your host, Han Vanderhart. Sarah Lefzig is head ethel over Ethelzine and Micropress. Her book, We Are Hopelessly Small and Modern Birds, is published with Black Lawrence Press 2018, and she has worked previously published in Bateau, The Greensboro Review, The New Orleans Review, Phoebe, Poetry City, and Tinderbox, among others. Hi, and welcome to of Poetry, Sarah.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited to have you here today. Um, your press is just an incredibly beautiful press, and you're an astounding poet and writer um, in your own right, of course. And um, yeah, I just want to hear about all the different ways your creative and publishing work intersect. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about, you know, your experience at McDowell and your experience running a press and publishing your own work. But first uh, we would love to hear some of your, your poetry.
1: Sure. Um, I can read a newer one, <laughs> um, I guess. Um... This is called, When They Taught Me How to Slit the Bird, I Put on the Mask of This World. It was a nightmare in which disembodied girls spoke in imaginary voices. They said, it's winter everywhere inside you, then disappeared into the star charts. When the nurse took my pulse, she gave me a vial of ether and a vial of honey, then adjusted the roots of my gown. I said neocortex, then stroked the pony. Shivering girls with cutting disorders were transfigured into kings. We held a vigil for rust, a vigil for rocks, and a vigil for vegetables. When I scattered my clothes on the roof of the stable, I smashed the honey vial, and 1,000 landscapes of bees swarmed above me. When I smashed the vial of ether, I was resurrected into a landscape of animal tracks and goose feathers. Live moths were stitched into my crown. Either I collapsed to the floor of my inner visions, or I was reciting the names of birds. I said, my scars are a cemetery of self-abuse, or else they are the ghosts of past hospitalizations. When I was performing my most daring knife trick, a blade of jasmine formed a sequin of blood. Then I'd wake up screaming about the violence of kitchens and vomiting between the snow. Now, when I can't sleep, I count myself with the stars, or I move among the stables, saying I can see every miracle. Then I lie still until my animal body forms.
0: Wow! Thank you so much for reading that. That's incredible. Um, is is that an unpublished
1: poem? It, that's the one that was published in Tinderbox. A
0: tinderbox. Okay, that's on my list to like find Sarah's poems in Tinderbox. <laughs> it's incredible and. um, Tinderbox knew what they were doing. Um, when they <laughs> accepted that, something I love, and I just want to note it because I think it's, it can be something we almost take for granted, is especially having conversations with, um, I feel especially with women and queer writers here is that the body, um, like, you can't escape the body that there, it's always such a presence. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's none of this like Cartesian, like I'm just going to separate the mind from the body and, Oh, I'm just going to have a poem where I'm thinking I'm having these thoughts and it's somehow like lifted up out of my body or I'm separate. Um, and I think it's, it's almost easy to take that for granted and think, I don't know, there's also been some like memoir discourse stuff on Twitter's um and but I think it's such a incredible thing and if you actually like read the past hundred years of poetry or you've like really looked even the last 50 years of poetry um I think it's more incredible than we understand like it's more it's more of a a shift and a sea change And, and you know as I've seen rightly pointed out lately um the confessional poets had a lot to do with this, um, whether or not you read. Your, I don't tend to read myself in the confessional like um, tradition, but it doesn't matter whether you read yourself in the confessional tradition to understand that you are post-confessional and that you are writing after the time of the confessional poets. So you're influenced in so many ways you don't even understand. Um, anyways, that's a little that's a little bit of a tangent. I would love to hear <laughs> your thoughts on this.
1: Um, I have a hard, I have a hard time talking about um, I don't know.
0: I'm thinking too, right? Because I just finished um your beautiful book, We Are Hopelessly Small and Modern Birds, and and this space, right, of like the ward space or the hospital space or even just a many roomed space, um, is a is a real presence. And I think, yeah, I'm just, I think I'm kind of entering that kind of, that kind of imagination space where, you know, it's, it's like, it's almost like a normal thing to talk about the body as kind of bringing along its failures and its ailments and its health and its unhealth. And, um, and, and how, you know, it's kind of, it is radical. It is, you know, to have, like, I have a poem where I mentioned taking Valium. It's, you know, like that's, how can I not, how can I not be influenced by the confessional poets and being able to say that, right? You're not going to find that in the poets I've studied in grad school, not contemporary, but older, yeah. um, like 17th century, um, <laughs> really old, but um, yeah, I guess I'm just, I guess I just, that's just me saying I'm really invested in, in your project and, um, the kind of imagination, um, you bring to that. I mean, the landscape of bees, um, that image is just incredible to hear you read that just now. Um,
1: yeah, I guess a lot of it is, um, like i struggled since I was like 13 with like eating disorder and so like the body is like it's like I have an obsession with you know having a body not wanting a body yeah. um and then yeah. like I was hospitalized a few times and so I think I'm trying to find ways to talk about that
2: mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but um I think I use my imagination
1: to escape, sort of like reality. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to talk about it, I sort of escape into this like sort of made up
2: mm-hmm. world. Um, mm-hmm.
0: uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'm always I'm always reading the blurbs um, on people's books because I think they teach us how to read. They show us different ways of reading. It's not saying this is how you will read the book, but it's it's a reflection or it's a facet. And um, Maureen Seton um, calls your book from Black Lawrence a mysterious, magical, mind-disturbing collection of alternate universes, as in a series of novellas. And I love that thinking about the kind of speculative, right? Like it's like, it's this speculative, fictive, poetic environment that you enter Um, And it's multiplicitous and it's like constantly multiplying around you. And um, I mean, it's, oh, well, it kind of, it reminds me a little bit of, um, oh, that 17th century poet, the one who was like the sci-fi, the early sci-fi writer, um, who's incredible. And I'm just, uh, the, the Burning World, what did she write? Oh, this is embarrassing that I can't remember. Margaret. Um anyways, do you have um do you have any interest in in like science fiction and kind of speculative fiction or poetry or how does that does is there any intersection with your work? Um
2: I don't have like anyone in particular that I like have been obsessed with i mean i'm sure just
1: reading stuff throughout the years
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mm-hmm.
0: from, um, because you do you know you have like a company you keep right um i mean we all do um but you have the fore and after federico garcia lorca at the beginning so you've got that like that's your like your muse invocation um at yeah. the beginning of your book um right. So I guess it's it's I guess maybe, you know, it's better to not say speculative fiction or like but talk about like this the surreal tradition in, in poetry too. Yeah. Um but but you know obviously those things are like brushing shoulders or
1: yeah. I feel, I mean I feel like I'm probably influenced by like everyone I've read in some way, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. almost everyone I read. I'm sure there's something it, but
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right now, I'm reading some uh, Leonora Carrington's, like, short mm. stories.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, one of the women who I've, I'm publishing her third chap um, book with Ethel, and her first one was about Leonora, and we're doing one now about uh, Frida. So it's, like, um, her mm-hmm. she writes these long poems about, like, surrealistic woman painters. But I, so... Mm. Um, that got me interested in Leonora's work and I really love it because she also sort of creates these worlds with these weird creatures in them and um, yeah
0: yeah, (laughs) I like to escape
1: I guess I like to escape the normal world
0: (laughs) I mean 100% (laughs) I think I always heard the term escapism growing up as something really terrible like it was like a negative, it's a bad. Yeah. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, escapism's great. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like yeah. Art, I mean, like who doesn't want to sit down and, and watch a film or read a book or something that takes you like away for, yeah. a while? like that's fantastic. That's one of the best, best parts about art. Um, <laughs> and you get to, you know, think along with someone else's brain and see their imagination and- I was thinking of um, the description of a new world called the blazing world, better known as the blazing world. Um, it's a 1666 work of prose fiction by Margaret Cavendish. Um, who was pretty awesome. Anyways, I just wanted to drop that because otherwise I'd feel really embarrassed that I just didn't, <laughs> I forgot Margaret Cavendish's, you know, like main work. But um, if you're a listener who is interested in kind of the early roots of sci-fi definitely check it out it's pretty great um yeah would you like would you like to read some from we're hopelessly small and modern birds
2: sure um do you have
1: anything in particular that
0: <laughs> Ooh.
1: i can just like open randomly too
0: what about Page nine. All my life I've been dragging. Okay. Thank you.
1: All my life I've been dragging up other people's beds and fixing my body against the world. In my shadow, the alphabet takes the form of a classroom in which the Messiah is an unlikely animal sniffing the edges of this page. We broke the law variously, then retreated to our holy spheres where thousands of roosters sway in the darkness like violins which is wider, a distant picture of my mother or the way my drunk father breathes his oxygen. A man is walking through a wooden staircase as if his whole body is only the reflection of his other body, which contains the reflection of a rooster swaying in the dark, holy realms of a contemporary wind. We go out into the fields, Kentucky will eat our bodies whole and spread them across the atmosphere like so many dead fish. If we throw a stone into the air, it'll bounce off our face and form a sort of wild core. Because for a very long time, we have been staring into the eyes of these
2: dolls. Thank
0: you. Mm-hmm. Um, I really felt that Kentucky illusion <laughs> um, there. It just seemed so right for the south um <laughs> yeah so i think um i especially want to kind of en- encourage listeners who are interested in you know surrealism and um prose you know prose lines and prose sections and kind of like a a heady intersection of um like both by the body and crisis and the body and illness, but also like imaginative escape and otherworldliness and kind of all the things we carry with us um, in health and otherwise. i I was interested. I'm, you know, the figure of like the Messiah or the savior um that kind of appears in in many, many different forms throughout your book. and, I think that really opens up for the reader. You know, it kind of, it, it kind of stills that fixation on having one something. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, there are many, there are many somethings like this. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that's really beautiful to see kind of echoed throughout your poems. Thank you for reading. Um, I wanted to ask you to read, because I also want to talk to you, of course, about Ethel and McDowell, and I didn't want to skip over um, reading from your book. So if when we're talking, if there's something you want to come back to or read, read if there's a poem you're like, oh, I've been writing about this, please interrupt me and, and okay. or, or <laughs> just read it for us, please. So, um, yeah, let's talk about what would you rather... Um, Ethel or um McDowell or
2: either either
1: way I'm flexible
0: (laughs) okay let's well let's let's talk about McDowell then um you know for those listening who don't know McDowell is an incredibly prestigious um writing residency it's one of the best you can get um you stay in a studio cabin and you're you're fed and you're quiet and uh and I think there's the chance for like communal eating as well and seeing the studios of other artists and I'm, um, yeah so we have a McDowell guest on the show so I just um yeah Sarah is there anything you'd like to um tell us about your time there and how that was like and was it was easy to focus was it hard to focus I have all the questions
1: <laughs> uh well, that was my first residency um ever yeah <gasps>
0: It is a McDowell. That's amazing.
1: Um, it was um right near where, like, it's very close to where I grew up. And mm. I went to school in New Hampshire anyway.
2: Okay. Um, I really enjoy, like, um, my solitude and quiet. Mm. And, um. So I,
1: I got a lot of sort of uh, new poems started mm. while I was there. And I took the time there i didn't like work on anything else i just worked on my own writing which is something i don't do <laughs> normally um the parts i struggled with were the i'm like i had incredibly bad social anxiety so um that you get like you know when you your lunch delivered in a basket at your cabin and so you don't have to but um so for dinner it's like you go and eat with everyone in the uh, oh, so yeah. that was like really stressful for me just because I'm well as you can tell from maybe talking to me I I have a hard time talking about like my process like my mm-hmm. writing
2: process mm-hmm. um
1: I don't know why um I th- have some things like locked up inside of me I think and I just can't like talk about them yet but so it was kind of hard for me to that part of it um but I did enjoy like at night they would have like people who were leaving would like read their work, or if it was an artist, you could go visit their studio. Um, so I enjoyed that part of it a lot. And I enjoyed, yeah, just the time mm-hmm. to focus
2: on myself and my work yeah. for a while.
0: Yeah. Did you did you feel like um, the other art around you, did it come into your poems at all, or your writing, or did it just?
2: I'm not sure if it did. I did, I mean, they have a great library there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think, um,
1: I can't remember what, I, I read like a a James Baldwin book I had never read mm-hmm. uh, while I was there. and that really got me excited about his work um yeah but yeah i think i really kind of just kept to myself a lot you know mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: walks in the woods and
0: yeah. was it winter
1: it was in may so spring oh, spring
0: yeah that can really change It can really it's just the mood i think of um I love that you mentioned reading James Baldwin, because I feel like the book, the, or the books, I mean, for me, it's often one, but, um, the book you read during a, a residency is really, really, really important. Um, the kind of, well, first of all, it's the thing you're taking time, right? It's you're like, I'm not writing, I'm reading. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and it can just kind of frame and the environment too. You're writing. So for me, very powerfully, um, like I did a, I did a writing residency at, um, here in North Carolina. And um, I decided to read um, like uh, Absalom, Absalom by Faulkner that week. And I'd never read it before. Um, and I didn't realize, but I was in a sundown town um, and the woods, but the woods were so, they had these beautiful longleaf pine woods. they gorgeous with all these horse trails. And um, so I just walk and walk and walk out there for hours. Um, but it was so creepy and something was really bothering me. And then I was reading Faulkner too. And so I just created this like perfect storm for an essay. Like I wrote an essay about my time there. Um, But yeah, I just feel like sometimes like things arrange themselves and you're like, oh, okay, like see there yeah. you were like reading Baldwin in the spring. And that like, I mean, that's its own kind of like condition that creates, you know, um, you know, around your writing, I think, which is pretty cool. Um yeah. Oh, I was at the Weymouth Center too. I just want to say that because I feel like um naming residencies and saying them out loud is always just good information for people. It's hard. something it can be really hard to know where to apply and yeah. where to go. And I'm um, the Weymouth is a subsidized um, by the it's it, the uh, writing, it's like an estate um of a North Carolina novelist from the 20th century. Um and um so I am actually having a difficult time remembering how much it costs. But it's um it's very affordable if you have a connection to North Carolina or you live in North Carolina. Hmm. Um, I think you can be writing about North Carolina too, I think.
1: but Okay. Um, Some connection to, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. North yeah. Anyways, just to, just to say that. but That's really cool. I just think solitude is, is. Really important. Um, and I. I tend to max out after like several days. So, um, like I need, like I did a, I did a, I was at a writing residency. This I've only done two is Weymouth and then, um, Wild Acres, which is also North Carolina. Okay. Cause it's hard when you have children, it's really wow. hard to go away for a long period of time far away. And so I really look for things that were close to me. Um, and Weymouth is funded, um, and you stay in a cabin on a mountain. I'm um, and there's no internet service, um, which I found difficult. Yeah, because well, first of all, writers look up stuff all the time, <laughs> all the time. There's always a text you're like, but now I must read that. I must read that small essay. I must read this poem. Um, I brought a huge box of books with me and. I think someone like laughed to me about it, like take but it turns out it was the best thing I did because there was you could walk up the mountain to get the retreat center, and i um I had a car too, but um you know it was it was not easy access to stuff, and um, if you heard a bark, you're hearing Sarah left <laughs> dog. I just want to point this out because I'm very it's very dog positive show here um, <laughs> um but. Yeah, it it was it was a little it was a little hard being so alone. I think. Yeah. Um. In fact, I missed my dogs the most. Aww. I think, and I mean, I miss my children a lot, but <laughs> I had dreams about my dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, my I dog. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's hard being away from them. How long was your time at McDowell?
2: Uh, two
1: weeks
0: wow that is long
1: but it was you know it wasn't as cut off i mean there's like mm-hmm. internet and people yeah. all around so it wasn't yeah.
2: Cut off.
0: yeah yeah mm. that's i mean that's a good that's a it's a good time to yeah. i hope i hope you had i mean it sounds like you had amazing poems i know the um the poem you read at the beginning of the show is was like the working title for your next yeah. manuscript and that's beautiful and, um, really exciting. So, um, and you mentioned to me that the the work for you that you've been working on these poems for years, and that it just it takes. Um, uh,
1: the poems from like my my book that have been published were I don't know they came. I wrote them like after my MFA, between my MFA and like in a few years. I kind of just I feel like. The poetry I wrote in my MFA was not I was still trying to find like my voice as a writer
2: Um, Mm -hmm. and then
1: after I think I somehow found it and wrote those but then since since getting that published I've just been I've been working on this it's like a a set of poems that all go together and Mm -hmm. I have maybe you know 40 like bits of like poems but I'm just really struggling with focus i guess focusing Mm. on them and it feels like this kind of like puzzle and i'm trying to figure out and yeah
2: yeah
1: um i just don't spend a lot of time on my own writing these days Mm.
0: yes (laughs) yes um i very much hear what you're saying um and in fact I was telling my therapist this morning that I was watching Wednesday, the new show with my kids and Wednesday Adams is just like, you know, a student. So on the one hand doesn't have as many obligations, as yeah. some people. but also she's like, you know, no. Like every night, I sit down and I work on my novel for an hour, and I like gasped because I was like, "Oh my god, what amazing writing ethic!" click. I was like, "Wednesday Adams has a much better writing practice than I do," and I felt so. My therapist is like, "Wow, you really decided to judge yourself in the middle of a kids' show." I was like, yeah. "Yes, I did." <laughs> yeah,
1: because like when I was you know, Wednesday Adams' age, I wrote, you know, all the
0: time. <laughs> I know, and. And I tend to be very like positive about like writing fits in whenever you fit it in, like, mm-hmm. you know, all times, whenever, whatever. But, but also, I, I also feel like I'm struggling to respect my own writing and yeah. to be like, hey, this is really important. And this is my work. And I need to make this time and this space for it. The same way I make time and space to like test or eat or walk the docks or, you know, <laughs> Because I like, of course, you're gonna prioritize walking the dogs. Like, mm-hmm. you're not gonna skip that because it's essential. And so, like, kind of thinking about our own writing as essential and important. Um, and I'd said to someone earlier this summer, um, it's easier for me to do things for other people than it is to do things for myself. Yeah. And so, like, when it comes to publishing others, like, um, and like that's easier. It's yeah. doing something and you feel it's like, it's also like the social rewarding too of like you feel good about it, and you know you're supposed to feel good about it and I think there's a lot of social stuff about we've absorbed I have about yeah. like oh you you know you should come last or you shouldn't yeah. prioritize your work this way or um, in whatever form of caretaking because we all caretake in lots of different ways throughout the day um, yeah
1: yeah I, I really struggle with um, feeling like i like Worthy of you know, I mean, it goes along with like d- depression, totally you know, Disorders and anxiety like just so the anxiety,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, and like you know, mm-hmm. feeling like I what's the point of publishing my own work, and you know, kind of all that,
0: totally, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um. Well, I'm just here to say I'm so excited for, um, well, first of all, that I know that there are poems of yours I can go find that I haven't read yet. <laughs> um, Cause I, I met your work through Ethel mm-hmm. um, and uh, my friend Jessica Stark, um, her micro chap came out yeah. with you and then Joanna Pink Cooper lives close here in Durham. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I met. So that I think that's really cool too. Like I, I met your work through your other work, right? Your editing work. And it's kind of in some ways, it's all of a piece, and it's helpful to think of it all as a piece. And in other ways, it's good to be like, you know, our, our work has its time and space too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing about Ethel that just really impresses me is that you're clearly such an incredible reader, and um the work you pick is so fresh and I'm just delighted every time I, I read an Ethel title um, because it's, it's unlike work anywhere else that's being published. It genuinely is. Um, there's such a difference. Cause I feel like it's just really easy to kind of iron out difference and to kind of find a press. That's like obviously has an aesthetic and they're picking work that they like, which is great. But after a while, their likes begin to get a little tyrannical and <laughs> maybe yeah. that's too strong a word. But it's like you begin to see like, oh yeah, that that's the kind of poet that press published. And mm-hmm. I never feel that way with Ethel. Um, and I just think that's a real testament to the kind of attention you're giving um, as an editor and a poet and a writer.
1: And, um, yeah, I really want to publish as many sort of different types of writing and writers as possible. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, one thing over and over again. Or whatever. But, yeah. And yeah, it's exciting, you know, to read something and be like, oh, that's like new. Like I haven't read something like that before.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly that the writers, because I, I don't think, I don't even think it's possible for editors to choose, um, you know, works that are all similar but I do think there's something that happens in the editorial process that can be a kind of smoothing out. Mm. Um, and I think that that, you know, like, I don't know, there's, there's just lines that don't survive that, that process. There are poems that don't survive that process. And, um, and we all kind of, you know, when we work with each other, and when we collaborate, we kind of accept a certain amount of that sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But um yeah, this is something I think about now. Now as a small press editor myself, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You, um, I read in your interview, your profile with um, Rob McLennan's Periodicities. I think I said it correctly. <laughs> um, that you, your goal is like twelve, twelve chapbooks a year I feel and you tend to end up around 24
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a hard time like when I really like something saying no um but I need to I need to learn to do that more because I can't keep like I can't keep going at the rate I set for myself um it's just like too much for one person.
2: Yeah.
1: Um so but th- so through next year I'm pretty booked and then I'm hoping in 2024 <laughs> to take yeah. it easy, you well, know, still publish yeah. but like a lot lighter of a schedule. And yeah. then the other thing is like the Ethel journal I put out. Um you yes. know when I started it it was like, you know, maybe 40 to 50 pages long <laughs> and now I, so, I got into a really bad depressive episode and stopped kind of, like, keeping track of stuff. And mm-hmm. the, the, like, issues of Ethel now are, like, 120 pages long. Oh. It's just, like, it's too much.
2: Mm. And
1: especially, you know, another thing is, like, cost. Because, mm. like, they're really expensive to print. And I don't really make money yeah. off of them because it's mostly contributor copies. Yeah. Um, so that is like um, so in the future, I think I need to you know, start it's like you learn as you go along, yeah. I guess. and I kind of just was like, da, da, da. And, yeah, so I need to like pull back on that a little bit and, and you know, because i I need to give myself time to work on my own stuff as well. Mm-hmm. sort of got out of I mean, out of hand in a good way, but now I'm realizing <laughs> like I can't do this all on my
0: own, yeah. Yeah, that is a lot. Um, It is. And I, you know, I think all the time about Robin Costa Lewis is on, on, like, she has this quote when she was on the Commonplace podcast with um, Rachel Zucker. And she said, like, you know, learning to say, it's not learning, it's not saying no, but it's saying yes, well, so there's that. But I also think all the time about um, there's this article on Emily Dickinson's um, her use of variance in her poetry, and it it's called choosing, not choosing. And I think about this all the time, like this title, like choosing not to choose. You're like, yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to choose. <laughs> and I think about that, and as an editor, um, and as someone who like went through you know reading lots of manuscripts, and then and then kind of sitting back on their heels and being like, Oh God, there's so many good ones. And yeah. this is going to be really difficult. And, um, Amorak, Q and I, of course, um, edit river, river books together. And so we kind of, we both had the same experience and it it was good to be like, Oh good. This is shared. Um, and Amorak was like, yeah, we, we can't just choose two. We can't. Um, yeah. so, so we ended up choosing double, like we choose, Two for for next year, and then two for the following, which is nice that we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. um But Sarah, we were like, we were literally—I I think we were reaching like the physical pain point of being like, like, Ill. we could do six this year, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah, and when you don't have like when you're not sponsored by a university or is you don't have funding coming in, or um, yeah, that's a that's a real a real tricky place to be but it's also really amazing to be surrounded by such great work yeah um and to know how many poets are are half manuscripts out a lot of they're trying to find homes for and so i really hear i really hear what you're saying um and i know that joanna pen cooper is kind of moral support collaborator yeah um person for you too and and that seems really important um yeah for all editors to have
1: yeah just someone to talk to or yeah, complain to sometimes like yeah look what this person sent me <laughs> 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 um or yeah just like yeah run things by you know? yeah and then she, uh, she also does like if ethel has any um readings she'll mm-hmm. host for me because i just my anxiety gets so bad
0: but... yeah I hear that so much um that's great i mean i do think it's it's important to have like just to have a collaborator to have yeah. that person um i don't i definitely could not mentally physically handle the press on my own um yeah. mm-hmm. i'm i'm really appreciative of Morak. just having someone who's who can be up when you're down and yeah. down when you're up and <laughs> balance uh it's definitely a kind of sickness and health rel- relationship <laughs>
1: yeah. and also just if i'm overwhelmed you know just someone to be like it's okay like people mm-hmm. will understand mm-hmm.
2: that
1: if you're running late like
0: yes yes i'm and i hear that i mean i've heard that across the board from so many presses that i feel like especially micro and small presses should not sweat having to push things off because I see big presses doing it all the time so uh, we're good (laughs) Mm, there was somewhere my brain was going to go with that what is a book you're really excited about at the moment from forthcoming from Ethel
2: Um, well I just published put
1: out out Jenny Irish's book would be future humans oh my
0: goodness it's beautiful
1: I really like it Um, it's I love her writing I actually Mm. discovered her through Black Lawrence Lawrence. Uh, yeah and then she I don't know she followed
2: Ethel and said yes I want to publish it that's awesome Um,
0: I saw an incredible poem um from from Ginny Irish's book that you shared to Instagram and um and the cover of the book is beautiful and I definitely hope folks go and, and check it out um and I'm hoping to have a few um, Ethel poets on of poetry in the in the future soon, near future. Um, just because I think there's such um, there's such beautiful material. I and I think we haven't even like I just made an assumption we haven't even like actually talked about what your what Ethel's books look like. I've just assumed my listener is an avid Ethel reader, <laughs> but but they're, you know, they're, they're handmade and, um, Sarah, did you want to talk a little bit about like how they look, how they feel? Um, Um,
1: well, so yeah, I sew all the covers. Uh, (laughs) Um, I usually use the base of like the transparent vellum paper. I just really love that paper. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes in like all these amazing colors. (laughs) And usually I, you know, check with the poet to see if they have like um something they want for the cover or Mm -hmm. not um but um and then I also have all these sort of handmade papers that I buy um and then yeah I'll just come up with a design usually it involves a lot of like cutting out of Shapes and then I use my sewing machine to sew them all on to the cover, and then I usually either bind the book if it's thin enough on the sewing machine, or if it's too thick, I use um like a, I have a, this whole punch, and then mm-hmm. I'll hand sew it together.
0: Wow. Um. So I grew up sewing on on a sewing machine and learning all the. Temperamentalities mentalities of, of, dealing with a sewing machine. Um, I did a, a ton of hand sewing too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just so curious because like, there are such like, as a sewer, like looking at the covers, there's such, um, there's such tight corners and such like you're doing. You have to be so agile. Is it, um, is your sewing machine like a new sewing machine? Isn't it? Older? No,
1: it's it- like oh my grandmother gave it to me like wow. in the nineties. I think I've and no way. it's like still going. And then like a few years ago, I was like, I'm gonna buy myself like a new one that's like a cheaper one, but like just like a new one. And like I used it a few times, and it kept like. The plastic pieces in it kept breaking and oh. all this. And so, like, I went back to the one my grandma gave me.
0: Um, wow.
1: It's so much sturdier and, like, I don't know.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. That's really amazing. Legacy, legacy books. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. They are just, they're beautiful books. I'm, um, and most of the covers are, are different, like every single one, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. And also,
1: I'm not, like, that amazing of a sewer. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not, like, I'm just, like, kind of my grandma showed me and I'm self-taught, but I'm not, like, super, like, perfectionistic or, yeah. So, like, every cover is a little different and, yeah.
0: I would love that. I love that. Um, Yeah, I definitely hope we'll provide um, links in our show notes so people can just even from the podcast app, just like click um, and see some of these gorgeous covers that we're talking about right now. Um, It's just a different, it's such a different feeling. I think it changes the relationship of the reader to the book. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's totally different to hold a book that like the labor it's just the, I think the labor and the investment of time, it just changes, you know, I think, and I think that's, so it's like what you forget. It's just, it's in what, you know, capitalism wants us to forget, like when something's been made on a machine and mm-hmm. it's just been like rolled off and it's mm-hmm. been separated from like human, human labor in a sense, but of course still, still requires human labor. um, it's just a different relationship to value and, and how we how we treat something, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, like, I hadn't even thought about this before, but I was talking with someone the other day about the size of a book, and they were like, "Oh, I think it might have been a Morak, but we were talking about a book as um the width and the shape of it and and Morak commented that it wasn't like optimized for like a Barnes and Noble shelf. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's so weird. I never even like thought about that as like an, a design optimization, but surely <laughs> I guess that is part, you know, like, is yeah. it too wide Does it stick off? Like, does it, does it stay on the shelf? Um, like does your book behave? Right. Um, yeah. it's interesting to, to think about that. Um,
1: and I do like to, um, like I'll take the book and look at the shape of the poems, and then I'll mm. like sort of so they're all different sizes, but based on like what will fit the poems the best, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, so I have a follow up question, uh, as an editor, um, which is what do you do with really long lines in in book and kind of rangy poems that take up a lot of space? How do you because I tend to think of ethel books as being. On the smaller side. Yeah. Um,
1: so. um, I mean, some of the books are like wider than they are long. Mm-hmm. If, um so I'll do that. <laughs> um if it's like, you know. Um yeah, I think that's mostly I mean the books that are like a little wider than they mm-hmm. are long are mm-hmm. to support the like longer lines. Yeah. Um, and then if are really long lines I might have to do you know when the line goes on you know you like indent it and, yeah. yeah
0: the wraparound yeah yeah that is really interesting to think of I mean the fact that many of us write in like Microsoft Word and um Word has a big page like it's it's a prose page it's not a poetry page right. and so it's yeah it's really interesting it's interesting problems Um when it comes to printing, I think. Yeah. Um, so hmm, I might come to you with questions. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Um, this seems like a, a wonderful place, um, for you to read us something. Okay.
2: If there's something,
0: <laughs> if there's something you'd like to read, um, either yours or or Ethel, or yours and Ethel.
2: <laughs> I was like, maybe I
1: should read something from Jenny's book since we talked about it. Ooh. Trying to find.
2: <laughs> right, take your
1: time. I can read the, the first piece from it, which is called The USS Narwhal. Yes. The metal womb knows nothing of submarines, but that is how she thinks of herself a submarine except she is not submerged and moves through time and not water. So the name is wrong. Sub is wrong. Marine is wrong. But in body and in experience, that is how she sees herself. A submarine, a fat metal dart as sleek as a steel seal, parting an unimaginable vastness and housed inside her a hundred tiny and terrified heartbeats fluttering, frenetic and longing to surface.
2: so good so good i'm very
0: excited for this book <laughs> um and i'll need to place a new a new ethel order and i know you also um you have annual subscriptions too mm-hmm. okay so i need to go look into this um, <laughs> and our um i remember at one point reading that um Ethel has a relationship to the, like the Harvard scene library or.
1: Oh yeah. The, so there's this Schlesinger library at Harvard um, has like a woman created zine section. Wow. Um, and my friend, Steven Rial worked at the library system there. So I think he told the person in charge of that about Ethel. and Wow. Um, so yeah, they don't have like, you know, everything, but just they have some selected.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Hmm. I like to think of Ethel misbehaving behind, um, you know, the institutional yes. walls of. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe that too, I think having a small press is, um, you know, it, it is political. It's a chance to to do something different. And, and as you you know as you want to see it happen um and as you can imagine and so yeah misbehaving well
2: is um
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems really important um for Mork and I there are definitely things that we really have problems with in poetry publishing and we decided to just be one space where we could hopefully work on rectifying some of those problems that it's just yeah yeah it's in some ways it's a big big systemic problems but i do think the small presses that's just the work they do is incredible and important and so supporting because if a poet if you don't publish a book or a manuscript Sometimes you can put that behind you and move on. And sometimes you can't mm-hmm. until you do. And so that is such, that is important work too, that the book has a place in the world and that the poet can like move through that space and, and keep moving. Um, Cause I think I just, we easily halt ourselves sometimes. Um, and that's one of the way encouraging ways other people can support us and help us keep moving. And I know I'm like having, having my own chapbook at Ethel, like that directly influenced what pecan light like directly because what pecan light was going to be a chapbook. Oh. Um, and, and then my editor called me and was like, I see you have a chapbook coming out from Ethel. So would you like, Wapakon Light to be a full length instead. And is interesting because I had kind of like siphoned off some poems from what I considered my main manuscript for Wapakon Light. And instead, Wapakon Light became the shape mm. of my. So, like, it really, you know, like the kind of political publishing ways you move, it, it just directly affects your creativity, I think, yeah. or it can. And sure, it doesn't for everyone, but. Um, it's really interesting. It's like oh I always feel like it's like a thousand small changes that end up becoming your book. Like yeah. um Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Sarah, is there is there any of can I get you to read another poem?
2: <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> I always, you know, like if you listen to a poetry podcast and there's not much poetry there, um, which is great, like it could be a great conversation. But I'm always like, if you have a poet there, like.
1: Um. <laughs> um, let me try to find. I'll read something from my book. Um, I don't think I can take credit for this. The whole house was in pain, but we went to the market anyway to spend our dimes. At the old fish breeders, William recalls how in his youth he had been haunted by trout in the Great Bering Sea. But a man is a doll made out of tiny bird parts. There's a sort of animal shape hovering above, he says. William says what, then eats a very tiny salted cracker. His whole second body expands inside his first. All is well inside the first and second bodies, he explains, the world held together with rope, various beams and rope. Still, a woman wakes up and fills a wilderness. She says, I feel the wilderness moving inside of me, moving outside of me. It's dark. A man is listening to other people's animal voices. William's pony is red and on fire, he says, then places Welk in his ears and collapses to the floor of his inner visions.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
2: um,
0: I think there's there's a lot of humor in your book as well um, <laughs> That that really comes out when you get to like read the poems together too, so. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah, and reading your poems and talking about Ethel and McDowell. And um, I just want to note that today is the shortest day of the year, and um, it feels really right to spend um, an hour of that time with another poet. Um, So thank you so much, and um, we'll just be looking for more amazing things from you to come.
2: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Thank you.